Welcome to Commission. I'm Pastor Eric Teitelman. And I'm Jed Robine. In each episode, we will talk about the gospel of the kingdom, declaring God's heart for the restoration of Israel and all the nations. So join us as we together explore the mysteries of the one new man. Welcome back to the Commission Podcast. I'm Pastor Eric Teitelman, and with me, as always, is my good friend, Jed Robine. And we have been talking about the spirit of Babylon. And in this part two, we are going to dig a little bit more deeply into the spirit of Elijah. There are some really important and stark contrast between these two and some of the words that uh, Jesus himself said about the coming of the spirit of Elijah before he actually returned. So Jed, let me turn it over to you. Great. Thank you, uh, Eric. And for our listeners, these uh, the scriptures that we're going to be looking at are in Malachi chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 11 primarily. In Malachi 4, the Lord says that the spirit of Elijah will come before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And so in Matthew 11, Jesus actually calls John the Baptist Elijah. And so it's interesting that before his first coming, you have John the Baptist ministry. And then, according to Malachi, the spirit of Elijah will come before the great day of the Lord, which is obviously going to include the return of Jesus. So before his return, the spirit of Elijah will be poured out on on the earth again. And so as you look at who who is John the Baptist, let's start the conversation with the spirit of Elijah there, because Jesus said John was Elijah. Now, he's the son of a priest, but he doesn't grow up as a priest. He grows up in the wilderness, and he's He's a little bit outside of the normative priestly experience of his time. And he is he's six months older than Yeshua. And he's declaring uh, that the kingdom of God is coming. Therefore, repent. He's declaring that, that the Messiah is coming. He's heralding the way. And he's confronting the religious and the political order of his day. Mm. Now, Matthew 11, the context is John the Baptist is actually in prison because he confronted Herod because Herod had married his brother's wife. And so John, being of the spirit of Elijah, confronted sin and he separated and said, this isn't right. This is wrong. And he told the truth. And now he's going to pay a high price for it. And Jesus is talking about John. And, you know, John has sent his disciples to Jesus to ask him, are you the one or should we wait for another? And Jesus sends him back and says, you go tell John uh, the lame are walking, the blind or have sight. And blessed is he who's not offended at me. That's a key message there, you know, that actually Elijah struggled with being offended as well mm. after his confrontation with uh, Jezebel and Ahab and the prophets of Baal. And well, we know who Baal is. Baal is actually Satan. It's another name for Satan. And Baal is who is being worshipped in Babylon, by the way. Mm. And who is being worshipped in corrupt, idolatrous worship practices in Israel. Mm -hmm. um, this figure has featured prominently. He goes back, really, I mean, to Nimrod. Mm. If you study it out. Baal became a name synonymous with Nimrod. So was Gilgamesh. But ultimately, we can just say it's Satan, can't we? Mm -hmm. um, and so you have this confrontation with Elijah up in Carmel. 
with the prophets of Baal. And he says, how long are you going to vacillate between two opinions? Either God is God or Baal is God. Let's figure this out, right? And we know that story very well. God answers by fire. The prophets of Baal are destroyed. But then Elijah is on the run. And he is, he's, I'm the only one left. I'm the only, woe is me. I'm the only prophet. And he's hiding in the cave. God takes care of him. He restores him, touches him, heals him. But there's a confrontational element of the spirit of Elijah that confronts false worship and causes a separation. And so you can see John the Baptist is confronting the Pharisees. Mm-hmm. You brood of snakes. Who told you to come out here? <laughs> right? He's got this fiery element to him where he's uncompromising on God's truth. but. According to Malachi 4, the spirit of Elijah restores the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. And there's this division that occurs where what is not of God, we must turn from it and come out from it. Mm -hmm. But when we come into the family of God, there's this restoration. Mm. There's every tribe and tongue seated around a table with Abraham and Jesus and the heroes of the faith where we're one. Hmm. And that's this restorative picture of the love that we've been longing for exists in one place. And that's in the heart of God. But in order to come into that, we have to depart. We have to leave Babylon in order to experience. And I'm talking about when I say leave Babylon, I mean, leave spiritual alignment, spiritual agreement, spiritual mindsets that are carnal and are influenced by the gods of this age, the spirit of the age, not the Holy Spirit. Right. And when we have that, that separation, which I think the spirit of Elijah is going to bring that conflict, it's going to bring that confrontation, and it's going to call to people, and who has ears to hear is going to hear and come out from false worship. Mm-hmm. They're going to come out from depending on human systems and human governments. Our hopes are not to be bent on or to be built upon political systems or money. These things are going to be judged. And in fact, when you look at Revelation 18, when Babylon is finally judged, it says the angels and God's holy people rejoice. Mm. So we are going to rejoice when Babylon gets what Babylon deserves. That's why God doesn't want us in Babylon when he wrecks it. Mm-hmm. When, he, when he brings the wrecking ball there, he doesn't want any of his people caught up in that because it's going to be disastrous. But it's going to be a righteous verdict. And it's going to be a holy time of rejoicing for God's angels and his people. Amen. You know, going back to the, that story there of Elijah on the top of the mountain, I think it was up in around Mount Carmel area. There's a different name for the peak, actually, but it's in that kind of that area. You know, the, the Lord is merciful on the people. and they're they're living in rebellion they're living in blindness and deception and rebellion against god and elijah is going to prove to them that god is real and that their false gods are exactly that that they are false gods and uh, but he gives them a chance to you know set up their little altar and do all their stuff and do all their little chants and prayers and all of that stuff and of course nothing happens we know and then elijah sets his altar up and the fire comes down and consumes everything And the people, when they see the power of God and they realize that they were wrong, they're humbled and they return their hearts back to God. 
because God demonstrated his power, he didn't even have to force himself on the people. He just demonstrated his power to them. And they were in awe of what they saw. And they, they repented and they returned to the Lord. Now, the priests, not so much. And in fact, it's interesting because John, John the Baptist confronts the priests, the leadership. Jesus confronts the leadership. And he even tells them that, you know, your father is of the devil. So he makes these very, very hard declarations against the leaders, the, the priests and the leaders of Israel. But he has this incredible mercy and compassion on the people because they were just simply blind. They were under deception and they were under bad leadership, essentially. So step forward to us today. And we're, you know, really in a similar, I, th I would say we're in a very similar place where there has been some bad leadership over different parts of God's church, over different parts of God's people. And God has some pretty harsh words to say about bad leadership against God's people. But he's looking for the hearts to soften, to repent, and uh, to return to him. And so what we're, you know, what we're going to see, this is just Eric speculating, but again, there is scripture to support it. Jesus said greater works than these you will, you will do. And so he's pointing to something miraculous that we would be involved with in these, these latter days, in these last days. In other words, the, the Spirit of God is going to pour out. They declared it on the day of Pentecost in Joel chapter 2. They said that in the latter days, the Spirit of God would be poured out upon all flesh. And so that God's mercy is going to be poured, about, poured out upon all people. And the, the church is, is going, the, those of us who have humbled our hearts and softened our hearts to God and are not continuing to resist Him and go along with these earthly systems that are essentially, like you said, at enmity with God, fighting against God. We come out of them, we humble ourselves, and God can, can use us in, in so many ways to demonstrate His grace, His love, His mercy, His, and even His power to a world that is living in darkness. And so there are these incredible similarities between that, that story with Elijah, because again, you can see, you know, Israel and they serve as kind of a type, a shadow for the, the greater church, the greater ecclesia that would come that now, of course, includes every tongue and tribe and nation and people. You have the priests and you have the, essentially the bad leaders that have been keeping the people kind of in darkness and in rebellion against God. And God comes and he shows up and he demonstrates his power. And he has some harsh things to say against the leaders. But he has a lot of love and compassion for, for the sheep, for the people. And when they soften their hearts, they return to the Lord. And so that's mm. kind of what I'm sensing is that we're going to see that kind of a spirit coming in, in great power. And God's people are going to be very much humbled and in awe of God mm. and are going to return to him. I love what you're saying, Eric. And, you know, one aspect of the ministry of John the Baptist is he was utterly focused on the bridegroom. Mm -hmm. He's, you know, he said the, the, the friend of the bridegroom rejoices for the bridegroom. Right. I have to decrease so that he can increase. He wasn't trying to build a kingdom for himself. 
He was just a messenger. Right. And most of the prophets die, right? They do. Um, and, and so, and but he's most utterly- Most of the apostles died too. Exactly. You know, he's dealing with a rebellious leadership core. Mm-hmm. And that core that put John the Baptist to death is going to put, put Jesus to death, mm. going to conspire to kill some of the apostles. But the ministry of, of Elijah, the spirit of Elijah, is utterly loyal to God. Yeah. At the, at the cost of his own life or at the cost of, of potentially laying down his life. Elijah wasn't killed, but John the Baptist was. Right. Um, and you can even see, uh, I was thinking as you were sharing, the story in Acts chapter 3 and 4 illustrates this a little bit as well for us because, the, you know, Peter and John have healed the man at the gate beautiful. There's people are getting saved. They're declaring the name of Jesus and the Sanhedrin is up in arms and they pull them, they pull them in and they, you cannot preach that name. You know, they're upset. They, they thought they dealt with the problem. What are you doing? You're causing us problems by preaching the name of Jesus and they have them flogged. Hmm. Right. And when they come out in Acts chapter four, they go back. Peter and John are actually rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer stripes uh, for the sake of the name of Jesus. They go back to the believers in Acts chapter 4, and they actually, it's recorded in the scripture, they quote Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage? Hmm. But they're applying it to what they just experienced. So here you have, it's very interesting. You have a religious order who's supposed to represent God, who's supposed to know God's word and represent God's will and execute God's judgment and will on the earth. And they are, according to the apostolic doctrine and decree of, this, of the prayer that was prayed, they are actually participating in an antichrist spirit. Hmm. And so just because something looks like it's religious and that it's, it's godly, we have to be very careful because the only question that matters is, who do you say Jesus is? Hmm. That's true. Who is Jesus to you? And if he's not God, and if he's not the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, then we have a problem. Mm. And there's exclusive claims to Christianity that the world wants to blur that line, and that many Christians are willing to compromise for what they say is love, but it's actually not. It's all, it brings confusion in, because we were, and it's what the apostles say to the Sanhedrin, do you think God wants us to curry favor with men more than obey him? We have to obey God. That's our call, not to obey you. Hmm. And I think that's the spirit of Elijah. Again, that rod of iron that the Lord wants in in the messengers in the end times are going to have this rod of iron. Unwavering loyalty to the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. Hmm. And we cannot compromise that. And there will be those that are mad, sad, and glad about that. But we are called to represent and be ambassadors of that kingdom, mm. to be faithful witnesses to the end. And as Jesus says in Revelation, to him who overcomes at the end, he's going to be saved. Yeah, amen. Well, to me, it, it shows God's mercy uh, at the end of the age. Sending the spirit of Elijah through John the Baptist was clearly God's mercy because John, being a forerunner, he was out there, he had disciples. It says he had disciples. In fact, uh, it, when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, they asked, teach us how to pray the way that John teaches his disciples to pray. So 
John had quite a, quite a ministry going as a forerunner to the coming of the Messiah. And it, it, it says that he, he was turning many, many, many hearts back to the Lord, even before Jesus arrives and is anointed, that the hearts were already beginning to return to God. That's God's mercy. And, you know, as we look, you know, we look forward and we see the, you mentioned, the, you know, the shaking happening in the world and all of these worldly systems cracking at their foundation. There's cracks in all of them, whether it's the economic systems and the, the inflation that we have or the political systems and all of the division and fighting we have going on. And even the spiritual systems themselves, all of these false spiritual systems that are out there, they're all cracking. They're all falling apart. And God is doing this and allowing these things to happen so that we would see the, the futility of trying to follow the world systems to tr and trying to depend on the world systems. It's, it's, it's futile. In the end, it'll just lead to destruction and disappointment. And so gradually, you know, God is showing his mercy. On one hand, you know, he is shaking these things that we seemingly depend on. And yet it's really in his mercy that he's shaking us away from our dependence on those systems so that we would really just depend on, on him. Because in the end, he's the only one that we can put our hope and trust in. A hundred percent. You know, as, as you were sharing that last part, you know, the question upon what is your hope built? You know, and Jesus tells the parable of, you know, there's the man who builds his house on the rock mm -hmm. and there's the man who builds his house on the sand. And when the storm comes, see, the storm comes for us all. Yeah. The question isn't whether there's going to be a storm. The question is, is what are, what is your foundation built upon? Right. And I think that question, see, when pressures begin to come and we, we've saw it, like you said, in the infighting and the bickering and the. This explosive season we've lived through, which is just the beginning of the mm -hmm. beginning of the beginning. Right. But it's revealing a heart because people are afraid. Mm. Fear. That's, you know, we've been given a spirit of love and of power and of a sound mind. Mm. We've not been given a spirit of fear. And so really you have fear is juxtaposed biblically, I believe, to love. Mm-hmm. As love fills in, fear is removed from the equation. If fear is expanding, love is squeezed out to the margins. Mm. And that's why, as we said in the last episode, abiding in, in Christ, abiding in his word, allowing his word to remain in us, abiding in the vine, that is oil in the lamp. Like the, the, there's the wise bridesmaids and the foolish. Mm. The wise have oil. What does the oil represent? I think that's the that's your relationship with God. It is. That's that's right. your that's your worship, that's your intimacy with him. That's the word of God residing on you in you from the inside out. Mm -hmm. And so his word remaining in us. Right. And us abiding in him. That's the antidote to fear. Turn away from the world. Turn and return to God. Mm. And find your home in him. It's interesting you mentioned the storm and, you know, it, it talks about the foundation that your house is built upon before the storm comes. Because when the storm comes, it's too late to build the foundation. 
In other words, you, you don't have time when the water flood waters are rising. You know, we saw the floods here recently in Kentucky. There have been floods in St. Louis. There have been floods in Nevada. There have been floods, I mean, practically everywhere there have been floods, right? When the flood comes, you don't have time to build a foundation. You don't have time to get your house lifted up out of the flood waters. You don't have time to even fill sandbags to protect your house. Your house has to be built on a foundation before the flood comes. There has to be a time of preparation. The parable that you gave about the ten virgins, the ten maidens, it unfolds in a very interesting way that tell, gives us some clues about what is going to happen in a general sense. Because the first thing it says is that a cry comes out at midnight. There's this cry that comes out, but then the bridegroom is delayed a little bit. He doesn't come immediately. There's a, there's a, in other words, there's a warning that Jesus is coming soon, imminently soon, but he doesn't come when the warning comes. The warning comes first. And there's a reason for that, because God is giving us more time to prepare our hearts, to fill our lamps with oil, to, to build a foundation on, on that rock that we need to build on. Because then when the flood comes, it comes very suddenly without any warning just as the scriptures tell us that when they declare peace, peace, then sudden destruction comes upon them. And for the other five young ladies that didn't have oil, it was too late to even go buy oil. You can't buy oil when the bridegroom is coming. You, you got to have the oil before he shows up. And so I think this is just Eric speaking, that all of the stuff happening in the world and we see a lot of the same kind of what I call precursors, shadows or for, you know, sort of foreshadows of things that we read about in the tribulation and in, in Revelation and uh, in other pr prophetic books, that there's some really bad stuff that happens, some really big wars that happen and a lot of disease and pestilence and earthquakes and many, many people, billions of people perish during that, that time. And so clearly we're, we're not there yet. And yet in God's mercy, he's sending out a cry. He, he is showing us, he's giving us a little bit of a taste of the things that are coming, the disease, the pestilence, the instability, political instability, economic instability, the floods and so on, and the droughts. He's giving us a taste because he's sending out a cry to wake up his sleeping bride and to, to wake up the world and to maybe even bring some people to break them away from these worldly systems, these Babylonian systems that they have bought into, that many of us have bought into because we depend on them to begin to shake us away from those systems and free us from those systems so that we would turn our hearts back to our Father. It's well said. And in both of those parables, to your point, presuppose the storm and the return of the Lord. You know, it's too late when the storm comes to your point, you, you can't build. Mm -mm. And so that's why it's wise to build in anticipation of the coming crisis. And I think that's the, that's some of the conversations I've had over the years with certain believers when eschatology comes up and, you know, it's, well, well, we don't really want to study the end times and it's confusing. And the book of Revelation has a lot of tough 
imagery. So we just kind of file it in the two hard tray and we'll deal with it some other time when we have, you know, three PhDs. I'm like, you really can't afford to negate 30% of the scripture. No. 30% of the scripture relates unto his return in the millennial kingdom and what's coming after. It's, it's a, it's a large portion of the word of God. And he has it in there for a reason. And the reason is when you build your house, build it with a forecast, knowing that a storm is coming. Mm. Now it may not be in your lifetime necessarily, but have you prepared the next generation for that Mm. reality of the storm coming? That's true. Um, Now there will be localized individual storms that we all need to be prepared for that will speak to every single Christian, Mm. but we're talking about the macro level end time storm that is coming upon the earth, the tribulation. We have to live in light. We have to live life in light of those pressures. And how do we respond in a godly way amidst that storm and live as God would have us live, uh, as lights, as salt, as messengers that are faithful, as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as Daniel, as John the Baptist, as Elijah, these pictures that we've been exploring in these two episodes are, I believe, the Holy Spirit is calling to us to examine these. They're given for our instruction. They're given to us as examples. They're given to us as inspirations. How do we, in our hearts, gain that oil, that intimacy with the Lord? And, uh, and perhaps we'll bring this episode to a close with this thought of, you know, there's this really beautiful, intimate story in the scriptures. It's one of my favorites uh, because it's so human. And I like watching Jesus interact with in very human situations. And, and it's found in Luke 10, and he's in the home of Mary and Martha, right? And we know that story so well. Martha is trying to do something awesome because she loves Jesus. So she's trying to prepare this meal for him. And she's upset because Mary is being a lazy bones, at least from Martha's perspective, you know. So she gets so upset that she actually, if you look at the scripture, she actually issues a command to Jesus. Lord, (laughs) tell my sister to help me. Yeah. (laughs) And so here this strange, you want to do something awesome for Jesus, but now you're actually issuing a command out of your anxiety, out of your stress, out of your frustration. You've now issued a command to the God of creation. And Jesus in his compassion says, Martha, my dear Martha, you're, you're worried about so many little details. One <laughs> thing is required and Mary's chosen it. Yeah. You know, and so it's that abiding place. It's not to say that making a dinner and working isn't, of course, there's a place for that. Right. But it's like Mary understood. He's only with us for a little while. Let's not, now's not the time to go and do all these things. Let's just have peanut butter and jelly tonight and listen to Jesus. Mm. Better yet, let's just, let's not even worry about what we're going to eat. Let's just be with him. Amen. And that heart of, I want to lean in to the Messiah. I want to understand your word. I want to understand your heart. I want to build the house on the rock. I want to understand how to represent you in the midst of chaos. That's the journey that we're on. And we don't have all the answers, but we're, we want to press in, as Paul says, forget what lies behind and press on to the upper, the higher call. Mm. 
of following Jesus Christ. Amen. These have been two amazing episodes with some very deep and rich uh, insight that the Lord has given us. And let's just take this away and, and pray into it and meditate on it. I want to thank all of you that have been tuning in and listening to our podcast. We really enjoy having you be a part of our discussion. And, uh, you know, you can send us questions and emails if you, if you would like and you want to open up a conversation. You can join us in our Monday Night Bible Study. There are opportunities for you to connect with us. But, Jed, let's just take uh, a minute, if we can, since you're going to be doing some traveling here shortly and just we're letting everybody know that we're not going away, that you're just taking a little bit of time to do some ministry work and travel overseas and that season two is closing, but we are going to continue this discussion as, as the Lord willing, as the Lord uh, continues to tarry until he comes, we will continue to labor and share the gospel and his messages. So tell us about your, just very quickly about where you're going and how does it actually, maybe even just very briefly, how does it tie in with this message? Because I do think that there is an in-time message in this trip. Yeah. Well, first thing I want to say is I appreciate you as my brother and friend, Eric, and doing this podcast and ministering together has been a delight. And I do hope in the Lord's economy, we'll be able to continue as the Lord leads and as he wills to continue, not just the podcast, but other opportunities to, to uh, minister together. And so that there will be, Lord willing, a season three that will kick off in, in 2023. Uh, but for the fall, uh, the Lord has opened up an opportunity for my wife and I to go back to our roots where we used to travel quite a bit. I'm, I think in earlier episodes when I gave a bit of my testimony, um, we lived in England for three years. Hmm. And uh, at this point in my life, I've lived 22 places in five different countries. And so, you know, we're all called as pilgrims. Not everyone is, has, has traveled as much as me. There's others that have traveled way more than me. Right. But uh, we're used to the, what we belovedly call the Pilgrim Road. And that's going without knowing. We have been given um, a lot of invitations and open doors for some reason to return 14 years later to when we first came to England. We're going to go and spend mm. a short season, a couple of months maybe with some friends and some brothers and sisters in different locations in England. We're going to have sweet times of koinonia fellowship with beloved brothers and sisters, but we also know that this message, um, that we need to press into the Messiah now. We need oil in our lamps now. We need to understand and perceive pressures that are on the earth uh, governmentally from the scriptures so that we can operate the way that God wants us to, to where we need to be positioned where he wants us to be positioned, doing the assignments he's giving us to do. Because it's as things escalate, we need to be about the father's business. Now that's true in any season of life. Yeah. But I think the, the stakes are just getting higher, if that makes sense. It does. It does. Uh, as we, as we step into this season. So my wife and I will be traveling and ministering and fellowshipping with with number of believers in different locations in England mm. for the next few months, maybe into France as well a little mm. bit. And then we've, I've got to be back stateside by the end of the year for a retreat. But all of that to say, we'll bring season two to a close. This has been awesome. It's been a great blessing and we will look forward to 
opening up a season three uh, here in 2023, Lord willing. With some great stories. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, thank, thanks to everyone that has joined us. Don't go away. We'll be back. In the meantime, you can also check out teachings on House of David Ministries, which you know we will continue to post our podcasts and teachings every month. And uh, Jed, you may be sharing. Uh, we talked about some videos and things coming your way from from across the pond, as they say, on the other side from the English island and maybe from the European continent. So we'll be looking forward to possibly getting some more. And I think next season, when you come back, there will be some incredible stories and insight and revelation that you'll be sharing with us. So thanks again for joining us. The Lord bless all of you, and we will see you in 2023. If you have enjoyed this podcast from Permission, make sure you subscribe to our channel and don't forget to visit our ministry websites. We pray the Lord richly blesses you and we look forward to having you join us again for our next episode.